Good morning. I'm glad you could be with me today in the Unfolding the Word ministry. Today marks one of those special days where we begin a new book study. We're going to be examining together, Lord willing, the book of Romans, a very extended book. Obviously, we'll be in it for a while, but I always look forward to these startup days as we shift gears from one book and now look at another of the books. And this book of Romans is a classic book. Today, I want to read to you some opening verses. We won't be examining those verses in depth today, but they set the stage for our extended study of Romans. So if you'd open your scriptures to Romans chapter 1, we're going to look at the opening verses. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh, and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the Spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord, through whom we've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of his name among all the nations, including you who are called to belong to Jesus Christ, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and His and the Lord Jesus Christ. The book of Romans. The book of Romans is often looked at as the most foundational of the New Testament epistles. Why? Because within the book of Romans, in a very extended way, we have the most expanded discussion of salvation, why it's needed, how it was achieved, what its implications are. We have an expanded discussion of the issue of Christian growth, of sanctification, the process of being made holy into Christ's likeness once redeemed by the Lord Jesus Christ. We have extensive sections of the book of Romans given over to the discussion of living as a Christian in the midst of this fallen world, both how do we deal with one another as believers and how do we deal with the world that is surrounding us. The book of Romans is a very integrated book. What do I mean by that? Well, within the book of Romans, we find the Old Testament quoted 57 times between chapters 1 and chapter 16. Now, it is a combining issue, helping us to understand how the gospel, the new covenant, fulfilled all of those great purposes of God promised in the Old Testament prophets. The book of Romans itself uh, has had a great impact on people throughout church history. In fact, being named by many people as the primary book that was responsible in God's plan for helping them to understand the gospel. I was thinking about uh, the, the great Augustine in the 5th century. He was reading the book of Romans, and that's what moved him toward the faith from a life of rebellion and paganism. Martin Luther, in the beginning of the Protestant Reformation, was saved by reading the book of Romans and understanding that the empty religious sort of thing that had characterized his life was not the way of salvation. Not that it's wrong to seek to live a holy life, but no one's saved that way. They're saved by what Christ has done for us on the cross. John Wesley, the founder of the Methodist Church, 
was saved at a place called Aldersgate as he was hearing a portion of the book of Romans read. And God used that to help him understand his empty religious churchy sort of background to that point had not produced what the gospel was intended to produce. So the point being, the book of Romans has had a great impact over time on people from every century from the time of the early church. It continues to do so. And I pray, may it do so now, as you and I together, under direction of the Holy Spirit, seek to unfold these wonderful truths, these astounding truths, these life-changing truths that we encounter throughout the book of Romans. So I hope you'll stick with me in it, and that you will turn to this particular set of Bible teachings day by day, and let a foundation be laid for your life to supplement what it is that you're doing apart from that in your own reading of God's Word and meditating upon it. Well, let's turn to the book for a moment, having talked about the history a bit of it and the background of it. Clearly, as we look at this book, Paul is the author of the book. He identifies himself as being the author. There's really no debate about that. Uh, Everyone kind of agrees to that, even those that are very critical of the scriptures agree to the fact, well, Paul wrote this. We know when we say that Paul wrote it, that Paul wrote it under direction of the Holy Spirit. These were God-breathed words. No one writes down scripture based on their own initiative, but the Holy Spirit moves upon them. And that's what God did here. Worked in Paul's life and allowed his words, God's words, to be breathed out through the pen of Paul in this case. This particular epistle was written, according to the historian, somewhere around 58 AD. It was written during the third missionary journey of Paul. He was in Corinth. He was collecting help at that time from Corinth and other places to send to the poor back in Judea. Uh, Judea was in very drier states at that time. Uh, A lot of poverty, the church was being persecuted, and there was a lot of need. And so the growing church, as it was spreading across the Mediterranean region, the people there felt a sense of responsibility for the believers, the brothers and sisters back in Judea. And so Paul was raising money to take back from there. As he was there, and as he was intending Uh, after carrying that money and getting it back to Judea to go to Rome, he says, listen, I'm intending to come to you. It's my plan to see you as soon as I finish this task of raising the money in some of the churches, going back to Jerusalem, Judea with it. We know as he got back to Jerusalem and Judea, the plans were changed in ways he wouldn't have understood at the time he was writing this book. You remember there in Judea, In Jerusalem, he was arrested, put forward on trumped-up charges from angry Jews. The Romans ultimately arresting him and keeping him in custody as a protective device because of the commitment of many of the rebel Jews to want to kill Paul. Eventually, under arrest, through a very (laughs) circuitous route, Paul does end up back in Romans, not the way he was expecting. He's in chains, but he's back in Romans, not back in Rome, nonetheless. So eventually he did get there. But this book was written prior to that first visit there. 
The church at Rome is clearly the recipient church, but like all of the of the scriptures, all of the epistles, while written to a particular group of believers, they were written to all believers. And so it's not like there's information only useful to Rome here. It's useful to all of us, and therefore we study it. When it says this was written to the to Rome, to the Romans, it wasn't written to all Romans, only to redeemed Romans. It was not limited to ethnic Romans. The church that eventually grew in Rome was made up of many different ethnic groups. It was, Rome was kind of the cosmopolitan city, the capital city of the empire. And people were in Rome from every area in the whole empire itself. In fact, the church at Rome even had some redeemed Jews in it who had decided to place their faith in the Messiah, even though the broader Jewish race an ethnic group at that time had determined to rebel against God at that stage of their existence. Nonetheless, some individual believers decided, no, we're going to follow Jesus. Remember, all of the early apostles were Jews before turning to Christ. And certainly Paul himself was a leading Jew when he turned to the Lord Jesus Christ. What we also know later in the 16th chapter of Romans, Paul says this in verse 11, Greet my kinsmen, Herodian. Paul actually had a family member, an extended relative, that was part of the church at Rome. In the book of Philippians, as Paul is writing from Rome to the Philippian church, in the fourth chapter, verse 22, he says, All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's household. What does that mean? That means in the church at Rome, some who were actually part of the very household of Caesar, if not his family, at least the group that surrounded him and provided for him, had also come to Christ. Isn't that an amazing truth? Well, tomorrow we're going to begin looking and unfolding these verses that I read to you today. These verses are filled with meat, and we don't want to skip over them. It's like a full-course dinner just between verses 1 and 7 of the book of Romans, chapter 1. And we're going to take our time to make sure we eat all the buffet. Join me, won't you, as we continue our study tomorrow. God bless.